Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word, for your creation, for the gifts that you give to us in so many ways. We ask your blessing now on this time and on the words that I share and on the meditations of all of our hearts. Amen. I've said this before, but I think we're all starting to grow a lot more comfortable with uncertainties lately. If we haven't gotten comfortable with uncertainty, we've at least started to grow more accustomed to it. How many of us, even just this week, said to someone something like, well, who knows how long this is all going to last? Or looking toward the election, or really reading just about anything in the news these days, and even, frankly, when it comes to the weather in the days or weeks, and sometimes even the hours ahead, right? Uncertainty. Uncertainty when a loved one is in the hospital. Uncertainty when we receive a diagnosis. Uncertainty that seems to be the only certain thing, right? That's a cliche. It's a terrible cliche that I've concluded is a response much like throwing up one's hands and saying, whatever's right. Uncertainty, though, for me, it points me in another direction. When I'm in the midst of uncertainty, I like to look for the certain things. This week, I mentioned in the Weekly Connection that I've enjoyed, I always enjoy, watching the weather change. And my favorite weather transition is this one that we're in now. I don't even know what to call this transition other than, well, to call it October. In the book Anne of Green Gables, the author L.M. Montgomery writes one of my favorite quotes. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. This time of transition when we know with certainty that on the other end, winter is coming. We never know what winter will look like, but we know that it will be here. And we could repeat this all again sometime in another season as the transition happens perhaps even into spring, right? When we get that one more snow and wonder, will the snow end? And the answer, of course, is yes. We can be certain that the snow will end and summer will come. I point this out because as much as we live in a world of uncertainty, there are these more certain things all around us. And some of the certainties we'd like to ignore and maybe even pretend are uncertain. But there are indeed certainties, and we can look for them and possibly even ground ourselves to them. We can root ourselves to them. Several weeks ago, one of the fires that was raging in California threatened a beautiful state park in California in which some of the largest and oldest trees live. According to the Old Growth Forest Network, some of these giants are more than 50 feet around and as tall as the Statue of Liberty. At 1,000 to 1,800 years old, some may predate the Roman Empire. The big fear was that these trees had been destroyed. No one could get into the park to see. It was one of those moments where people were expressing disbelief, but at the same time, a sort of resignation at the uncertainty that seems to be our norm. Now, 
as that particular fire was contained and people could get back into the park, it became clear that these old trees with, with wonderful names like the mother of the forest and some other well-named trees, had, they had certainly been burned, but they hadn't been consumed. In the midst of confusion and uncertainty, these trees stood tall and they withstood the threats around them. The uncertainty that comes with fires, storms, earthquakes, illness, pandemics, job loss, raising children, mental health challenges, life transitions, the uncertainty that fills our lives can either drive us to surrender into that uncertainty, or it can point us to glimpses of the horizon, glimpses of the other side of the uncertainty, like October. This period in between, the period of wonder where we know what comes on the other side, but we mingle in between with days that are chilly and days that are warm and smells of the fall and leaves that are changing. All of this pointing us into a new direction, guiding us through the uncertainty. I've said before that if faith were certain, it wouldn't be called faith anymore. If our lives of following God could be neatly packaged in a way that left no room for uncertainty, then there would be no choice involved, no, no willingness to live into the mystery of God's promises and God's love. Love and promises, both of these require some trust and, yes, some faith. These things, faith and trust, they don't come blindly, though. Trust is earned. Trust is earned through thoughtful examination, and trust is earned and learned through experience, and also through risk, through taking the chance and risking even in the midst of uncertainty. So how do we develop the trust in our relationship with God? How do we find God, connect with God, follow God? The answer I often give to this question is that God has given us the gift of people on the journey, fellow sojourners trying to find their way. We, we find our way with others. We share our stories with one another, and God is revealed in these stories. We're given the gift of faith so very often in the gift of fellowship and companionship. And I think that in talking with many people, I often hear that it is in love that God is most deeply experienced. And I think this makes a lot of sense. It makes sense because, especially in a healthy, loving community, it's easy to feel good and to feel love when we are being cared for and when we are caring for others and when our care for others is appreciated. There's an element of connection, of human connection, that is manifest in putting our love into action. Jesus talked about this so much, and it's who we were created to be. So yes, in community, we experience God's love for sure. But there's little risk here. And there's potentially little need for faith here. It feels good. It, fe it comforts us. It, it makes us feel like we're bringing worth to someone else. And this even brings us some sense of stability in the midst of uncertainty. And all of this is good. And it is wonderful. But as followers of Jesus Christ and as a church, we're more than our actions. Yes, our faith is reflected in our actions. 
But we're called to not just live out Christ's commandments, but we are called to know the one whose commandments we are living. And this becomes challenging in all times, but especially in times of uncertainty. So where do we find our Octobers? These beautiful hinge periods that point us to a certainty when we are in the midst of uncertainty. Where do we find those majestic trees that seem to defy the threats all around them? Where, where do we find our connection, our pathway, our link to the God we cannot see? Where does our faith become more than a cultural inheritance and more than a feel-good balm to soothe the pain of a hurting world, of our hurting world? Where do we find more? When Jesus is dying on the cross, the words, the words that pass his lips, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words are straight from Psalm 22. Now, nearly every psalm is quoted in the New Testament. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the psalms the prayer book of the Bible. Over 100 times, the Psalms are quoted in the New Testament. And so many of the Psalms would be familiar to you, even if you don't know that the words are from the Psalms, like, be still and know that I am God. Or the longing question, how long, O Lord? Or the comforting words, the Lord is my shepherd. The Psalms have been this generational gift to humanity for the past 25 years or so. A gift that is like a voice giving words to us, words that we didn't even know we had, words we didn't know we could utter before God, and yet we have this model in Christ who cried out to God using the words of the Psalm as he was taking his final breaths. And this morning Psalm... This morning psalm is its own revelation of the, the something more that we're called to have as, our, as a part of our journey toward faith in God. The psalmist, in fact, gives us three ways to connect with God, three ways to begin to understand how God is revealed to humanity and how our lives of uncertainty and our risk of faith can begin to move from uncertainty and risk toward wonder and trust, and hope, and mysterious connection to God. Three ways. The first is by taking a walk. Okay, the psalmist doesn't say this, but what the psalmist does right is that the heavens, nature, the created world all around us is pointing us to the Creator. Earlier this summer, the midday prayer group spent one of our sessions engaged in an act of what is called forest bathing. I love this phrase, where we pause to reflect on the ways that we might be able to connect with God by connecting with nature. One of the things that grabbed me during that time, our time of forest bathing, was the way that trees, trees point up toward those highest points off into the sky. And as I look at them, they draw me away from the worries of the world. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Others shared about their walks in the woods and the way that the sounds of nature tune out other sounds that fill their mind. The heavens are telling the glory of God and all creation is shouting for joy. 
The psalmist is, is telling us that if we want to learn about the painter, go look at the painting. And then take a moment, take a moment and pause at the way that God's creation reveals something more about God to us. I think about those old growth trees like the mother of the forest. They're rising tall and they'll be rising tall to bring praise to God long after all of my uncertainties have faded away. Are we listening to the trees? Are we listening to the forests? Are we listening to the creation that is singing praise to the creator? In verses 7 through 11 of this psalm, the psalmist writes a love song to the law. Now, I know this is a silly way to put it, but it really is what's going on here. But in actuality, though, the psalmist is reflecting on the way that the mysteries of God are revealed in Scripture. The mysteries and the unknowns of God become more clear in these words of Scripture. But also in the following of Scripture, the, the living out of the Scripture. The psalmist writes that in living according to the guidance of Scripture, we find that Scripture, that living with God is more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. We don't often think of rules as being more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Or maybe we do, though. Think back to what I said about the beauty and wonder of experiencing the love of others and the experience of serving others. I've absolutely heard from many of you that loving others and caring for others is more important than money. When I consider the ways that you all financially support our missions and ministry, you are clearly saying, with your gold and your honey, that God's work, God's rules, love, 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 is more valuable and more important than your resources. And so it makes sense that if Christ's chief commandments are to love God and love neighbor, it is in learning more about love of God and love of neighbor that we begin to develop that trust, the willingness to believe. In reading scripture, in studying scripture, in embracing that law that is a gift from God, our uncertainties don't go away. But we begin to realize and see that God is stirring in and within our lives and within those uncertainties. And so are we listening to the ways that Scripture can speak into our lives? Are we listening? And then we come to the third part of this rich psalm. The third part is an invitation toward an intimate relationship and connection with God. Throughout the Psalms and throughout the life of Christ and throughout the lives of countless faithful followers of God, it is through the development of a deliberate nurture and connection to God that a relationship forms in which the Creator and the Created One are mysteriously drawn closer to one another. The psalmist confesses that it is God who knows the inmost thoughts and our most hidden faults. God who knows our most inmost thoughts. 
And each week we confess our sins during worship. And part of why this process of confession is so central to our faith is that in confession we avail ourselves to God's deep and abiding love. Not so that we can be shamed by God, but rather so that we can hear again and anew that we are beloved children of God and that even when we feel beyond the reach of love, we are indeed made blameless by God. You are loved. I've said before that if our children can learn one thing from our time, from their time in church, from our time raising them in church, if you can learn one thing from your time coming to church or even just stopping by church online, may you learn and know and remember that you are loved by God that you are known by God and that you are loved even when you are known by God. And so, are we listening? Are we listening to the ways that creation points us to God and the ways that nature proclaims God's goodness all around us? Are we listening to and learning from Scripture, looking for ways that we can follow God's commandments? Are we listening to our heart and listening to God who is inviting us into relationship and inviting us to experience the love that goes beyond our comprehension? The psalmist invites us to listen, to listen to a source not of certainty, but maybe a source of invitation for a companion in God, a companion in the midst of uncertainty the companion who walks with us in the midst of all uncertainty. In fact, this is the very invitation that we, along with believers throughout the world today and every day, celebrate when we approach the table and celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. This feast is intimately linked to the earth, to creation. Creation that breaks forth with wheat and with grapes. Creation that mysteriously causes the wonderful change of the, of the elements and where the, the, the wheat and water become bread that is a staple of cultures throughout the world and has been throughout history and that forever points us to God and the gift of salvation. Creation that transforms grapes and their juice into wine that will be for us the sealing of Christ's covenant. This, this feast is linked to the word, to scripture, as Christ fulfilled covenantal promises in his sacrificial death, and Christ gives the gift to humankind that is more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And this feast is linked to the intimate invitation into relationship with God, God who knows our inmost thoughts and yet still loves us.